On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Morell, CEO of Oscar, Sunday Times number one ranked recruitment company to work for in 2020, number two in 2021, number five in 2022. There were 200 employees with a turnover of £45 million per annum. He's the ambassador for Ever Manchester, and his business is also in the top 10 of all UK businesses to work for. Andy Morell, welcome to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to have you on the show. We have been kind of friends, um, known through various different recruitment circles, you know, very, uh, lots of admiration for you and what you've achieved. For those that don't know you, tell the audience about what you do and who you are. Um, Okay, well, uh, thank you for having me on, first of all. I'm I'm honoured and it's great to finally speak. As, as, As aforementioned, I think, We've got a lot of friends in common, um, but we probably don't know each other intimately as well as maybe we could do, given the circles we're in. Um, so I guess for you and anybody else who doesn't know me, I'm Andy Morell. I, I, I lead a company called Oscar. Um, we are a recruitment business primarily and originally based out of Manchester in the UK. Um, I'm currently in our lovely Tampa office in the States. Um, earlier this week, I was in Philadelphia in our office up in the northeast. Uh, we're also um, located in London, uh, in Houston, in Austin. Uh, we're about to launch San Diego with some fab people down there. And we, we also have an office in Amsterdam, albeit at the moment it's unmanned, uh, but it helps our engagement with the EU. Phenomenal. A big presence in the, in, in the UK, in Manchester, obviously a huge presence over there in the States. I want to talk about that strategy and also, you know, how well you've grown the business. But let's, let's, let's go back a bit, actually, if you don't mind. Before uh, Oscar, paint us a picture of your journey since school. I'll take it from there. Um, <laughs> I, I think my entry into recruitment is kind of typical of a lot of people who, who joined it maybe back in the day before it was a well-known entity um i fell into it as everybody says um at school i was a high achiever um i was in top sets in the 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 kind of lessons where they would they would put you in in uh, advanced classes uh but i was also quite fortunate enough to be quite a decorated sports person um and i think probably because of the latter the former suffered so I didn't pay much care and due attention to my schoolwork because I was going to become a professional tennis player or footballer yeah. or one of those great things, which, of course, I've got that boring old man story of I snapped my ACL, my knee went, and then that all went to crap. So went to college, went to university, very, no disrespect, but got very average results from, from average institutions. Mm. Came, out, came out of uni with a 2-2. Um, I did a four-year degree, so it was a year in industry which I really enjoyed, maybe more than the, the, like the, the uni work itself. So I'm now at this point, I'm a year behind a lot of my peers who did a straight three-year degree. And a lot of my peers had gone to Redbrick University's got two ones off first and were, were launching careers at top four accountancy firms, doing an LPC to become lawyers, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. And I come out of uni with a, with a 2-2 from an average uni. And... I remember I was, I was working in Iceland supermarket at, while I was at uni and, and behind a pub as well, behind bar of a pub. And what scared me was I could see people around me who had maybe done a sort of similar path in terms of had an average education. And they were still living at home with their mum and dad in their late 20s. They didn't really have any, any wealth to spend on anything. And they were kind of living by their own means. And being, uh, who don't mind if I swear, but it scared the shit out of me. 
and and I was I was really scared of having an ordinary life, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I felt I'd wasted a lot of my, my own potential. Yeah. So I was working behind behind the pub with, with a friend of mine, Michelle, and her brother used to come in. Um, Paul, a few years older than me. He had a nice car, nice watch, spent a lot of money behind the bar, nice clothes. And I remember asking Michelle, what, what does this guy do? What does your brother do? And she said, oh, he does recruitment. You can, you can kind of, you, you can move up the ranks quickly and, and earn a lot of money. Yeah. And I thought, well, th- this is maybe my way to expedite my progress so I don't get left behind by my peer group. So this shows how old I am. Got a newspaper, circled a couple of ads in it, <laughs> uh, went, for, went for interviews. I got offered a, a trainee role, uh, an independent tech recruiter called Senator in, in Cheshire. Right. And I also got, a, got offered at the same time a role um, for a car dealership to, to basically to, to be like an L&D person to go around and um, train people on a new CRM system they were putting in. Mm. And the, that role paid more money. It was more stable. And my folks were really trying to push me in that direction. But I kind of, I had this yearning for recruitment where it seemed like the possibilities were relatively endless. Yeah. So jumped into recruitment in 2000 uh, for that business. I stayed there for six years. I, I grew from really terrible trainee, not knowing what the hell I was doing, into being a, a divisional leader. And then I was given the opportunity to take over Oscar, which was a fledgling business, a handful of people. And it was basically a turnaround job. Um, 15 years later, I'm still here. Right. Oh, so you did actually uh, find found the company then? Sorry. No, it, it was it, it was founded by uh, shareholders are still involved in the business today and a, another director who'd led it from so, yeah. so he kind of ran it from 2001 to 2007 difficult times post Y2K dot com bubble burst all that kind of stuff hmm. and it but that one sound really it was it was a bit of a mess there was some there was a couple of really good people in it when I arrived that, that we built Oscar around yeah, but yeah. there was no, there was no unified processes. The environment wasn't quite right. People okay. were using a dozen spreadsheets rather than a CRM, yeah. and it was it was it was like it was this massive bag of potential, but it wasn't really doing anything. Um, they were all in disparate markets. They worked as individuals. They were nice people. And they enjoyed each other. Um, yeah. And I came in and made changes, which at first doesn't go down well, right? Because no one likes change. And then eventually, we got to where we are today. But I, I only took the role. I took the role based on, on on two kind of key criteria from my side, from the, the people who, who own the business. One was if I'm doing well and we're making a profit, you leave me the hell alone and get let me get on with my vision for the business. Yeah. And two, I guess, because at, at that time, six years in recruitment, I was getting a bit itchy feet, didn't really know what to do. It was a small business I was working in and there was a glass ceiling above my head. And I, I was looking at other opportunities. There's the potential to start on your own and things like that. But because there was kind of something there, albeit it was a bit of a, a basket case, I figured that was a good start for me because I'm kind of I'm good off people and I, I'm mm. good with energy around people. So I basically said what I want to do eventually is when I kind of sort all the processes around and do the tough stuff, yeah. what, I'd like, what I'd like to develop, and this is really cheesy, but I said I want, I want to create the, the kind of business that I wanted to work in when I was a recruiter. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, do, that doesn't mean it's it's wishy-washy and people can just do anything they want because I believe you can't create create a great environment or creativity without a certain amount of structure. Mm-hmm. But without some of the, what I felt was BS that, that, that 
companies in the industry at the time were, were making people do. And it's just, I mean, yeah. back, back in those days, I, I personally feel recruiters were not treated particularly well. And, and that, that was no slight against the business I was at. I think that was a, a lot of the industry at the time. And, and thank goodness we've moved on since then. Absolutely. So talk to me about just the headline numbers of the size of the business. Now, I, I want to delve deeper to how, how you got there because you've won some awards and you've, you've, you've uh, you kind of smashed it out of the park a little bit, haven't you? We're doing well. We're doing well. We dealt with COVID very well in a positive way. And, and let's be honest, most businesses in our sector are doing well at the moment. It's a great market. You know, we we aren't necessarily an outlier as far as that's concerned. But we, as of beginning of September, we'll be up to 200 staff globally uh, working for our business and turn over the, our financial year, September to August, we'll, we'll probably turn over about 45 million sterling this year. Um, we are primarily... Um, a mix between perm and contracts. Um, our contractor book is growing, but we kind of we have more people in the permanent area of recruitment. And what is the overall congratulations, by the way? I mean, that is no mean feat in itself. I want to delve a bit deeper into how you did that. But before we go into that, you mentioned a nice watch, a nice car, that kind of stuff back in the day. Yeah. I, I get the sense speaking to you. You're very down to earth, very humble. And in recruitment, those kind of traits aren't necessarily apparent. So what's the ethos and, and uh, of the business in terms of, obviously, you've got to have drive, but I get the sense that you've built it in a different way. Um, I think I think that the materialistic things that I mentioned before were probably things that were lauded more back, back when I started in recruitment. And I mean, that's, that doesn't denote success and certainly doesn't denote character or any value. But I think what it does is it's representative of that success and it's a nice byproduct. And I guess one of the things I've learned in my time in recruitment is I think you you have, everyone has a matrix of needs and wants. And I think as you change and evolve as a person, as most of us really grow up in recruitment, you know, sort of our twenties, our thirties, our forties, you go through life changes and I think a lot of the, those things remain constant in terms of you still want them and, and your why might be different to mine. But I think the, the ones, some that are more minor become more major as things change. You know, I'm, I'm a family mm. man. I've got two kids, which I, I'll be honest with you, I'm missing hugely. My heart's yearning for them at the moment being out here. And it's yeah. only a week, but I'm, I'm a soppy bugger. Um, of course. And I think, I, th- I think for me, I think those things change and I think the industry changes. I think one thing that's really important right now is purpose and values. And I'd love to say that that should, that has always been the case. And I think until a few years ago, it possibly wasn't. I think the, a a lot of the industry for our failings was maybe basing on pure meritocracy and people will, if if they're good enough, they will succeed and they will be driven by their, their own self. Whereas I think now shared vision is important. I think shared value set is important. I think, as we as we enter into the, the 2020s, um, I think we're going to see more, even just from a, from a non-altruistic perspective, mm. I think a lot of our clients are going to evaluate their supply chain and not necessarily look for people that can support support supply the best product at the cheapest price, which is yeah. the tradition traditional procurement model, sure. but look to evaluate the values in the supply chain and ensure that they're, they're all aligned. Um, I am very, very big on balancing profit and purpose. And I think it's really, really important that you that you have these tenants to your business if you believe in them. If you don't, that's cool. If you just want to chase the dollar, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But that's not for me necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's important that it, it's deep and it's not just bullshit for LinkedIn points. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to sort of use the phrase, but put your money where your mouth is and, and really invest deeply in things like sustainability, CSR, yeah. DNI. Inclusion is massive at the moment. It's a, it's, it's a very, very big um, area that we're concentrating on. We, we've we developed a, a, a thing called the, the Oscar Wildcats a couple of years ago, which which came. There's 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 a very very true and genuine story about that, and it came off the back of somebody who was who was related to one of our staff members who was racially abused a few years ago, and his nickname was Wildcat. And right. He we worked with him and our other minorities within the business to try and develop a program so that it was at the forefront of our thinking and not just. You've got a DNI policy that's in some dusty manual somewhere that no one gives a mm. shit about. It's real yeah. and we live it. Um, and, and that's developed now into something we're launching in the next few months called the Oscar Foundation, um, which is going to cover not just the area, but also the great work we do with charities and our efforts to, to be sustainable and be carbon neutral, if not carbon positive. Wow. Um, and I think for me, the younger people of this generation that get a lot of stick for many middle-aged people like me who said they don't work as hard blah 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 all mm. stuff I remember hearing when I was their age yeah of course but I think I, th- I think they are in my opinion the people entering our industry now and, and in their younger years in our industry they are they're more socially conscious yes they are they are more invested in a long-term vision in purpose and not just chasing um things yeah. that are maybe shallow now don't get me wrong they want to earn a lot of money and we give them the platform to do so, but yeah. that's, that's just not enough. And it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, you, you will know, and I, I know your, I know your journey as well. And you're a deep and humble man yourself. You know, money doesn't make you happy singularly. It can give you choice and freedom can make you happy if you use it in the right way. But it's, for me, it's just a part of the puzzle. Yeah. I mean, that is so impactful really resonates with me. I think what I've picked up there is that what works even two years ago, or 15, 20 years ago, it doesn't work now. But unfortunately, there's a lot of this to stick to recruitment, a lot, a lot of old school dictatorial leaders that have only been taught or know one way that even if they want to, sometimes they don't know how to kind of change. And actually, there's, 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 there's a lot of work to do. But I mean, your business is a shining example that you can have it all. You can have purpose. You can have, have real values and real ethics and make lots of money as well. Um, on that point, though, I mean, has this sort of suddenly evolved this kind of dawn of realization that you need purpose or was it something that happened to you any, any adversity or anything like that or um i i, I mean I, I i think that originally as a leader i probably was that person i was dictatorial yeah. um you, you, i think you teach how you were taught and i was taught by um two brilliant managers you might know them sam mickelson zach giorgio i know them um, both. yeah of course yeah it's it's great recruiting yeah, yeah. Great recruiters, really good humans, but it it, yeah. it was it was it was show you go and do it, and they're wonderful people and still good friends to this day. Yeah. Um. And you, you teach how you were taught, right? And, yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're you're so right. I think I listen. I, I'm I'm absolutely sure that I still have my moments, right? And, and I, <laughs> ultimately speaking, I'm a decision maker. Um. I, I think I think maybe sort of five six years ago, I think things started to change for the better. Um. Yeah. I don't know if, if if maybe I was just reflective of the wider culture, um, or whether it were, or whether it was of my own evolving. I, I don't really know the answer to that. I think mm-hmm. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Um, a lot of people say to me that I've kind of I've changed quite significantly since having children. My um, my eldest, who's six, he was born with a very serious condition called craniosynostosis. Um, so basically, um, 
his his skull was fused together. So if we didn't have a major operation, his um his brain wouldn't have been able to grow into it and wow. he'd been severely handicapped or, or possibly have died. So wow. when he was 18, 18 months old, he had a, a awful operation where they basically pulled his face off, broke his skull into bits, rege- regenerated a new skull, took part from the back, created a new forehead and completely changed the way that he looked. And, and it was that was the most harrowing day of my life. It was horrific. I'm um, surprised. And I think... I think situations like that make you possibly reevaluate what's important. Um, mm. But what I wouldn't like to do is, is, is label it all on that because I don't really know. Um, but I think mm. the more responsibilities you have to, to more people in your life, I think makes you evaluate what's really important. Like I, at the moment, I'm in the States for, for a week. Or so I was, in, I was in Philly earlier this week. I'm in Tampa now. And I'm, I'm yeah. here, to be honest with you, functionally, I'm doing bits. I'm interviewing people, doing training sessions, but it's breaking bread. I'm seeing people. I'm, I'm you know, yeah. we're, we're we're having handshakes, we're having cuddles, we're having conversations. Stuff's coming out that it just doesn't do over Zoom. That it just doesn't do over looking at metrics. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that that interaction part of it is hugely yeah. important, and that's why it's so important to me that as we continue to grow, which I I hope indeed we do, because it generates further careers for all of my staff. I just I, what I don't ever want is someone to feel like they're just a number. Once you get a bigger yes, to a bigger yes. business, that they're just a, a cog in this big industrial wheel, and they don't have a say, and they're not empowered. And yes, like the CEO yes. doesn't know who they are. And I think yeah. it sounds really, really, really cheap. But part of me just coming seeing people oh. is people people like just to see your CEO. You've turned up at their hometown and you give a shit. Um, and that that for me that's that's as important as any strategy that you can you can develop. 100%. Also, you touched on the word shared vision, and I think that's really important. I, I, I think vision over strategy, and you've got to have a strategy as well, but I think that until you're crystal clear, until you know what your vision is, but it can't be your vision. It has to be our vision. So I'm an NED, as you know, and I go into businesses and drive them forward, and they say, well, we want to go from this headcount to this headcount, or this profit number to this profit number, or can you sort this this person out, or the league table is not very good enough. But before I do any of that, I asked them, what's your, what's your vision, what's your mission, and what your values? And half of them, they don't even know. Or well, they're going through the motions. They're just, they don't even know. And more often than not, it's not about money. It's, it's, but what, what's, once you've got a purpose and a direction, everything else does fall into place, right? I think so. But I think it's also important to be agile enough to know that that can change. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, if, 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 you're, if you're interviewing a, a rookie, and we, a lot of us take on rookies in this business, and somebody is 21, 25, whatever, maybe fresh out of education or another industry, mm-hmm. you can talk to them about, oh, we're going to get to 300 staff and we're going to turn over this and that. Yeah. What's their place in that? Why, why is that important to them? Why do they give a shit? Mm-hmm. You know? And I think for me, if you align people's individual goals and show them how they're going to be such an important part in this picture, then, you know, then I think everything pulls together. It doesn't mean that everything is always perfect. No. We are a long way from that. Yeah. Um, but you know it's that an old adage if you look after the pennies the pounds will look after themselves so for me if you look after individual career routes and you run yeah. with the pdps you know people's whys you support support the side gigs support the stuff that that's going to actually give them joy in life mm. i think that they'll pull in the right direction when you're not looking when you're not thinking about it because Absolutely. it's their purpose is aligned with yours even if it's not exactly the same oh, yeah. they know their part in your story uh, and, and that's yeah. crucial. 
the career development plans are important, right? But I mean, I think you've got to have flexibility even there as well, because not everyone wants to be a manager, director. Actually, some of the best people can be an amazing marketer or HR person. You've got to have got to be open minded, haven't you? Absolutely. Um, and we've got a new I think when you're a smaller business, it's, it's more difficult because everything's linear because you need people sort of bringing in the business yeah. to be able to pay the rent. Um, yeah. As you get bigger, what I've realized is you, you can create nonlinear pathways, you know, are. I'm, I'm fortunate. The managing director of our UK business and our US business, they both started with us as trainees and rookies. Right. Um, Mel, who runs our biggest team globally, she she started with us as a rookie. But um, our our head of people and culture joined us as, as, as an internal talent acquisition person. Yeah. Our head of operations joined us. He was doing an admin work uh, in the summer, and then he went into recruitment, then he yeah. went into L&D. Now he's going to apps, uh, ops. Our UK L&D manager, Lauren, was a brilliant recruiter, a wonderful manager. She she, she uh, has had a baby and wanted to come back in a, a different capacity. And we said, mm. you're going to be a brilliant L&D manager. So she does that mm. for us. Um, our, in, in the US, Lee. Lee's worked for us in three locations globally. He's gone from recruiter to, to, yeah. Um, yeah. to talent acquisition to now doing TA and L&D. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think you can... You can merge these career options. I was talking to a, a really brilliant candidate to work for us yesterday here in Tampa. Superb lady, uh, full of positive energy. And she said, look, I'm a great BDM, but I don't want to do this forever. Um, and I, I, I spoke with our USMD, Kev, who's on leave at the moment. I went, she will be a brilliant future leader in our business. Yes. Right now, do I know exactly where? No. no, no. It could be L&D. It could be in, 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 in some other area as we grow. Mm. It creates more opportunities. Um, like you say, in marketing, in, in HR, in other functions. Um, you know, we, we've got a guy at the moment who's a systems analyst for us. Mm. He started on an apprenticeship doing admin, and he's absolutely amazing with tech, and he's brilliant with our CRM. And we didn't necessarily know that at the start. No. It's about managing the individual, not the team, right? Yes, have global processes and training, but also, as you just said, understanding the individual motivations and drivers, but also, even at your level, um, you need your own objectives to align to your strengths that are aligned to your business. So rather than, I think a lot of CEOs, they try to be all things to all people. They don't delegate enough and actually they don't know their own limitations. And for me, it's about being open-minded and at the top table, right. My CRO, myself, my marketing person, whatever, what are their strengths? But give them, if you give yourself three to five key objectives, you find you, you execute them really well. And I think sometimes um, the ego gets in the way of that. I've absolutely been guilty of that for sure. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I try and delegate as much as possible now, but I think there is there's an interesting paradox with that where if you if you delegate too much, you worry that oh, am I adding value? But people think I'm just sat doing nothing. Yeah. Um, but again, if if you if you take on all the workload, you might do it for the right reasons, but people will assume it's ego and people will assume that it's because you want the glory mm. rather than you're trying to help people. Yeah. So I think the idea is to is to give people responsibility and support them in their growth. Yeah. Um, I think I think being being an, a non-biller in recruitment is a bit of a utopia. Lots of people want to get to that point, but the challenge with it is is mm. actually internal credibility. Yeah. Because people assume that you're not necessarily doing a lot, and I think if you are improving individuals' lives within the business, no matter whether they are a, an apprentice up to a director in the business, yeah. if you're making their life easier or better and you're finding solutions for them with whatever challenges they face, then I think that's how you overcome that, in my yes. opinion. Um, and even if you, you know, you, you've gone to these situations as a senior person in the business, I'm sure you've done this already, where you're going in and it's lose-lose, you're there to try and save the day, but you're going to lose no matter what. Yeah. 
I think people just appreciate you being in the same boat as them and, and giving a shit about their life and their work totally. and not just going, it's on you. I mean, I, I, I do believe in individual responsibility and accountability. Um, but I, I think, I think it, it's so important that we show we care with what we do. Mm. Um, and, and that can be down to the smallest things. If you make yourself too individually busy, you might think, right, I'm being this kind of superhero trying to work for everybody. Yeah. But you're actually not giving people time and they appreciate it less. Yes. And it is a balance. It goes back to that thing, like me being here this week, you know, some of the, some of the time, like I said, I'm, I'm just breaking bread with people and building relationships rather than doing functional work to further the sure. business from a pounds and pence perspective. Sure. Um, and I'm always learning to try and balance that in the right manner. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. I think that's right. I think you probably do need to execute some things, but as you evolve as a leader, you realise that people can actually do things better than you anyway. And actually the time that you spend with somebody is probably worth more than any project you would deliver anyway, because that's what people, you know, on the hiring thing, um, as we both know, it tends to be the most recruiting businesses are historically quite poor at their own hiring, but very at their external hiring. What are the three to five most common factors as to why people would join you as a business? Um, you know, is it tech? Is it the vision? Is it the incentives? From your point of view, why why have you got to, or how have you got to 200? Yeah, I was asked a question by the lady I mentioned before yesterday, and she sort of, sort of said, why Oscar? And, and I actually said to her, if, if I give a standard reason for that, then that's not me being very bright, because I don't think we're the only good player in town, you know, and some, some organisations might be better at, at one area, some might be better at another area. And I think... It, there's some brilliant businesses in our industry right now. And I think anybody that says we do this unique thing that no one else does between me and you, I think it's bullshit, right? I think, I, agree. I, I think it, it's good to know what you're good at and to try and be strong in all areas. I think um, there, there's a lady who works for us at the moment who's incredibly successful. She's director of ours, Alice. Um, she's so about charity. Um, and she joined us because she was a, she was a trustee of Endometriosis UK and we said to her, not, well, not only will we allow her to do that, we will support her in, the, in that. Um, and so she, one of the big reasons she joined us was that we didn't see that as a problem. We saw it as something that would, would, would empower her and make her better at her job because she's happy. Yeah. Um, so some people join us on that basis. Some people join us, honestly, because we don't have a threshold and commission. As simple as that. Yeah. Some, people, some people join us because I think... It was interesting. I, I sat in an interview with, with one of our great leaders in Manchester, Mel, and, and she always says the reason she stayed with us mm. is that she's always kind of comfortably uncomfortable. Um, she's always kind of being pushed outside her comfort zone to grow. Yeah. And we're never kind of treading water. There's right. always there's always a new goal. There's no glass ceiling for anybody. Mm. And I think that's vitally important. But most people say, most people say it's the environment, it's the culture. I think in Manchester, where we've got like 90 people now, it, yeah. it it's kind of easy when people come in. It's palpable. They see it, they feel oh, yeah. it, they hear it. When you're going into new locations and you're essentially a startup like here in Tampa, you have to artificially generate that because it doesn't mm. just happen when you've got five or six people in the office to start with. Mm. But it, it's trying to tie in that that environment, of, uh, that, yeah. that, that yeah. view where we want to go globally. Um, and I think we're agile. I think we're... What we're not is we're not stuck in red tape and bureaucracy and we can make decisions quite quickly. We're entrepreneurial and we take risks. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. 45 million quid, 200 staff. I mean, 
where do you want to go next? What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the next steps? But also, what is the purpose of, why are you doing what you're doing? It's a good question, that, because the first lesson in business, they say that if you're at kind of my level, you should have an exit plan before you start. Um, the God's honest truth for me is I haven't. And what I've said is I'll think about that on that Sunday night when I get the terrace and I don't want to go into work the next day. Yeah. That's when I'll start to think about it. Um, I, I'd be scared senseless of what I would do if I wasn't doing this because I, mm. I don't necessarily know how to do anything else. Um, so the, the, there's no exit plan. We're not, we're not building up for a sale or a float or anything like that. I think we are, we're, growth isn't linear. You know, it's like that Loch Ness Monster. We've, we've gone like that and like that and like yeah. that and like that. But yeah. if you look at it over a great period of time, it has always been growth, sometimes faster than, than other times. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we outline a vision, a three-year vision, and we, we redo it every year because things change in the macro Absolutely. environment that you can't control. Sure. Uh, in the micro environment, things you can control. And, and, and new opportunities will come during that period of time. But we, we, we have a plan of where we want to get to. We, we wrote a, a three-year business plan at the end of last financial year, and we deliver it in a global vision conference to the entire company. We celebrate our successes, and we talk about the future. Yeah. What we laid out there was to get, at the time, we were kind of, oh, maybe we were uh, 120 staff and turned over 20-odd million, and we said in three years' time, we want to get to the point. It's headline numbers, the boring stuff. Yeah. Um, there yeah. was a plan to get to 95 million turnover, and to do that, we, we estimated we probably need 350 staff mm. based on our models and we're year one of that vision we're, we're kind of on track yeah. to where yeah. we want to be so that's the that's the boring stuff but what what we what the vision for the company is is to can continue to evolve and um, we've done four and a half day weeks for a long time okay. and about three years ago you i'm sure you know dave stone good friend yeah, of mine yeah, yeah. he's a pioneer of the four day week and yeah. yes uh, for him it works brilliantly i was so unsure about it but i said Let's make a plan before it got fashionable. Let's make a plan to get there in time rather yeah. than just jump to it. So we got, we, we were doing kind of like month, it, not for individuals, for the whole team, for the whole company. If we do this this month, we can have four and a half day weeks next month, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, yeah. So we did it monthly, we did it quarterly, and then we made that into permanency about 12, 18 months ago. And then I said, next step, once we reach new heights of performance, we'll then trial the four day week. And we're into our, this is the second of our third month in trying trial the four-day week. And yeah. quite honestly, I don't know if it does work for us. I think four and a half days is probably better for us. Yeah. We're going to see out the trial and see what worked. Okay. So I guess where I'm going with that is I want us to keep evolving. You know, if you'd have said to me five years ago, we'd be working hybrid and we'd be having days at home and stuff like that, I'd go, what, recruitment? You're crazy. Yeah. You know? and, and it was forced by covid but I wanted to, to lay a marker in it early and commit to it for our staff mm -hmm. rather than being being pulled along by the tide of everybody yeah. else because if, if you're not doing it, you'll lose staff to someone who is. So I want us to always be at the spearhead of that. And it doesn't mean we're going to be the first to try anything, but I want us to be early adopters of things so you work out what works well for you, yeah. your people, your business, rather than just doing it because, shit, if we don't do it, everyone else yeah. is and we get in trouble, you know? Yeah. So, like, you know, I got to, like, 10 million, 15, 20, 25, you know, um, so it didn't quite reach your heights actually, but uh, it kind of everyone knows it kind of changed at a certain point, which um, happens. But every time I got to a certain level, me personally, it was like, oh, okay, it was it, it, it was a bit of an anti-climax. So you're at that level you're at oh, now. Nice. Yeah. What, what what do you think that is? And like, I mean, at what point do you think it won't be an anti-climax? 
Um, well, I'm I'm a really really boring person, so I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot of books on psychology <laughs> and business. And uh, the, the, apparently, there there is there is a there's a chemical in the brain that is released while in the anticipation of a reward, and it's not released as much when you get the reward. Yeah. So I agree completely. Once you achieve something, it's a bit of a what next? You know, yeah. I've, I've known in sports people that have won world championships and, and cups and trophies, mm. and that they're, they're really sad afterwards because mm. it's getting there that's important. Mm. And there is there's there's a there's a thought pattern that if you always set your goals to be not not realistic, each individual mark has to be realistic. But if you don't have yeah. Um, yeah. a finite um, vision at the top of that, then I think you'll always be motivated because if you go right, I want to get there, and then that's it, I'm done. Yeah. I, I guess in many in many ways that's wise, and you can walk off into the sunset happy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for a lot of us that are into building and growing. I, I, that scares the pants off me, you know? So I think we, we continually try to make sure that we've got smart goals. So they're achievable yet, yet, yet tough. Mm. But it, once we reach there, we're, we're, we're pre-thinking of the next one. And it, it, it's not, as I said, that, that there's yeah. not an absolute to anything. How- and I think that's, I think that's very powerful. Um, but that's not, if, if you, if you're not careful and you have that without structure underneath it, yeah. people don't know where they're going and they don't understand their place in that journey. Um so for me, it's kind of one of them things. I'll never ever be hundred percent happy, but that's what keeps me trying to get better. Yeah, yeah. I think where where I went wrong was um, I put ninety nine point nine nine percent of my time, effort, and everything into my business, and I did lose got these girlfriends, lost relationships, lost contact with my son, and everything else. And I, 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 I know you, I know you haven't done that, but I, I do feel there's a point. I, I did that that, that that was me many years ago. That that was me. And what I've realised is if I'm going to be the best version of me for everybody else. I kind of have to, I have to listen to my own advice to other people. Yeah, it's a classic. You know, so classic. my my boys come absolutely first above anything else in the world, and I and I, the same is said for my staff. Their loved ones are much more important than work. Um, right. But what their work is, hopefully, is an enabler to enhance their life with those loved ones. See, when I ask you the question as as to why people join you, I think it's because of you. And I don't mean that in, in any other way other than you're the role model that people want to be in terms of the balance of harmony around, yes, you're 45 million, 200 people, but intrinsically your family first, your purpose first, money's important to you. And I think um, you're a shining example of, of, of how you can balance that, that drive, that ambition to get to wherever you want to get to. But ultimately, it, when the chips are down, you just want to spend some time with your wife and kids. Yeah, well, it's very kind of you to say so. I definitely don't think people join because of me. I think there's there are much better role models in our business than me, and much better shiny examples of who people want to be. And um, I think that changes. You know, when when I, when I took over the company, I was 27. It was easy for people to want to be me because they they saw I, you yeah. you're trainee at 22. Yeah, you, you're relatively similar. Now I'm I'm, the, I'm this old bald dude who doesn't really understand what what current music is. Do you know what I mean? But it's important that at each level we have those people that they can understand. Yeah. They might see me as the long term target of who they want to be, but it's yeah. important they see people they can relate to at every step along the way. Otherwise, it feels like it's too far away. It feels too distant and unfamiliar. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I think people do join Oscar because of our people. Is it because of me? Probably a wee bit, but I think. For, it's it's the wonderful people that, yeah. that I support every day. What what about outside of work then? I mean that balance and you know I, I have talked about I'm a mental health first aid a mental health advocate. You know I, I think well being is crucial. Talk to me about your own mental health journey and troubles and adversity. Um, 
I am a typical bloke in that I, I, until I've had a few drinks inside me, I don't really talk about that kind of stuff, um, which well, while I'm on, I'm just going to plug something very quickly. One of our consultants, Luke Barrow, um, he has a deep interest in mental health and he's generated a platform called Two Pints Deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a mental health platform where people can anonymously talk about their issues and the, the moniker Two Pints Deep comes from as blokes, we are crap at that. But after yeah. a couple of pints, you open up a little bit. Yeah. So what he wants yeah. to do is remove the requirement for having a couple of drinks inside before you can open up and provide this platform. And he's yeah. doing wonderful things to help to help blokes around the country and hopefully around the world as well. So I just wanted to plug that in because I think it fits very well into this. Fantastic. Um, in terms of my own, and we're going to support him as much as we can with that, um, hence me plugging it, I guess. Um, my own mental health, um, I... I don't know. I, I, I think I, I'm really, really conscious that when I'm feeling good, I'm really, really better for other people. Mm. Like, like if I'm not feeling good, I might be shorter or snappier or not have the time. Yeah. And I think it, it's really, really important that I kind of bring my game to help people every day with their challenges. Um, so I do keep a check on my mental health. I've not ever been through any formal processes in talking to to counsellors or, or psychologists, although we, we employ psychologists in our business to help people with mindfulness. But I think I'm very aware of it because, I, I'm, as I said before, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real nerd. I love reading about psychology and lots of things yeah. like that. Yeah. And I, I try to administer my own plans. I mean, it sounds really, really basic. If I get if I get to the gym with my PT three or four times a week, I'm such a better human. Of course. I'm just, I, I'm just a better person because... Yeah. I'm expending energy and I'm coming in in, in vitalized and I've just there's something that like Chris my PT always says to me Andy you, you, you kind of you don't know when to quit you hate kind of like losing whereas failure in, 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 in the gym is a good thing right yeah yeah and yeah. I think I, I carry that on in, into my work life a little bit but like I know if I, if I go to the gym and I, I, I fail at a certain weight or I can't do as many reps as I was doing something the last week it's so humbling you know, because yeah. because I, I I'm not the fittest person in the gym by a long way. Whereas in in the workplace, I'm naturally at, at, at the top, and and it can yeah. be lonely at the top. So I think it's really important to find something with it you're not the best in. You know, whether it's whether it's sport, art, um, hobby. I'm, I'm a Star Wars Star Wars nerd. You know, I, I love stuff like that. So like, I think it's important to have passions that that are away from the business and irrespective of that. Um, and it's a release and it's an escapism. Um. I love being on the golf course. I'm a massive Bolton Wanderers fan. I follow them home and away. And I'm delighted to say my kids aren't going to turn into United or Liverpool fans. They're Bolton fans as well. So um, I, I, I enjoy spending time with people. But also, actually, I I kind of I enjoy my own company. I like sitting in the corner reading a book sometimes. Mm. Um, I'm To be honest with you, outside of work, I'm probably pretty boring. Well, you know, I mean, that's that. What's boring to one is is is, is exciting to the other. You know, I, I've t- changed my attack with that in terms of what I do with my time now. It's uh, much more recreational than it used to be. Um, in terms of bad decisions, darkest moments as a CEO, talk to yeah. us about that. bad decisions. I, I probably make bad decisions daily. In all honesty, you know, I I, um, I, I have my more than my fair share of f ups. I think. What I've learned over time, I'm a very passionate person and people can can link that to being emotional, I guess. And I think what I've made bad bad decisions where I've, I've, I've only gone with my gut and, and my gut yeah. only. And I, th- I think gut decisions are super important because the reality is it's not this magical moment. It's a combination of all your experiences to that point. 
Um, I think I've made decisions sometimes that have felt right, but have not looked right. And I think that that's wrong. Um, but I, I, in terms of sort of tangibles, we, you know, we, when I joined Oscar, it was it was the financial crash of the, of the late 2000s. So it was a very yeah. difficult time yeah. there. And, we, we, you know, we had to be ruthless to keep the business afloat in many ways. Then, then the, the biggest challenge we had, because we at the time, 60% of our net fee income came from the oil and gas industry. Right. When the oil when the oil price crashed in 2015, mm. we we looked at every single oil price crash in history from the 1800s since they looked at it, and every single time it bounced back higher. Yeah. So we stuck in with it for ages, and we left people working on markets where there was like like our two biggest clients globally don't exist anymore, right? And, and we left people in it, and we didn't make a decision to to remove a big portion of the company from the industry for too long. Wow. And it nearly it nearly sent the business under. You know, we made a loss in that year. Um, and we had, at the time, we just opened in Singapore and we were getting going to Houston. And, and, you know, we were up to 90 staff, which sounded uh, amazing and huge. And then, we, you know, went back mm-hmm. to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wasn't swift enough in my decision-making. I wanted to believe in people. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's really important that you, that you take advice from people who aren't invested in the decision so there's no skin in the game for them and yeah. you're more likely to get a balanced answer um yeah. but I, I i make mistakes constantly i guess but I, it, again it sounds really corny but i think if you don't make mistakes you're not getting any better because you're not learning you just do uh, the same stuff well exactly i think i think also you're actually doing something you actually did taking action as opposed to doing nothing as well what about what about kind of like like really kind of dark moments in terms of um where you've had any kind of anxiety or fear or, or, or you know you talked about i mean your, your son operation i mean that that must have been a very difficult time for you i guess uh yeah longest day of my life but I, i'm very fortunate to to, to, to have a, a wife who's in the same boat and we supported each other through that and mm. i've got amazing family and friends um and uh, i just have to say the staff at oscar at the time were amazing with me they, they, yeah. they, they were so supportive of us um and i appreciated that a lot um i think anxieties and fear and stuff like that on probably letting people go that you know, you know, in your heart, they're not they're not going to do the mm. job, but you really like them as, as individuals yeah. and you buy into to their persona. Yeah. That that's horrible. I mean, I remember when, when COVID hit, um, and we we thought like there's no business, and, and we actually navigated it really well in the end. But you know, we're in the epicenter of it in, in March of that year. Yeah. I remember I remember sitting on, on a bench outside our office thinking, shit, what, if I've got if I've got to make fifty people redundant tomorrow and go back to bare bones or whatever it was. Can I live with myself? You know, um, unfortunately, we didn't. We didn't have to let anybody go. We 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 were very liquid, so we didn't have to make rash decisions that a lot of businesses did, and yeah. then change their minds on. And it, it wasn't that wasn't. Um, yeah, it, we're not like really smart. We knew this was coming. We actually thought Brexit's coming. It could be yeah. a shit show. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. So we didn't take any dividends out of the business for a couple of years and left all profits in. Yeah. So what that meant was we didn't have to make decisions to disaffect the staff. But we didn't know that COVID was coming. Um, but on, I remember thinking, right, we're going to get no revenue in for a couple of months, et cetera, et cetera. You know, yeah, darkest yeah. days. Um, yeah, that was that that was painful. Um, mm. you know, um, it, it, it was very upsetting. But we 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 found a way to navigate through. I think we reacted again non-emotionally. We made sure our staff was looked after first. Yeah. And actually, during that period, we were able to go on the hunt and we grew the business because yeah. lots of yeah. companies. Um, 
we're terminating people or we're, we're basically saying our vision this year is just to keep our head above water. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I, could, I could go to market and speak to some great recruiters who, no disrespect to us, but might not have talked to us in normal circumstances because they're happy where they were mm-hmm. about actually, well, we're still going to grow our business through this. And we did. And we were very fortunate that I think as, as a business owner, if you just go, right, it's okay, we're just going to kind of tread water and stay alive. That's yeah. all right for you because it's your baby. But someone who goes, I'll, use two, I'll lose two years out of my career here. That's no good for them because they want that constant growth. Whereas we was to, we were able to demonstrate that we can still show people opportunity. So it, above all, I think we're solutions providers, and I think yeah. any in any situation, there's solutions if you look for them. And in good markets and bad markets, there's winners and losers. And, and our job is to try and ensure for all of our people we're winners in, in in every every macro circumstance that happens to us. It's how we deal with it. It's important. It's we can't control the world. No, definitely. This is fascinating. We're kind of coming towards the last sort of five or 10 minutes, but you've used the word emotion, emotions, emotional several times in this conversation so far. Yes. And everyone says it, but I firmly believe that emotional intelligence is the, one of the most important facets in recruitment, also in leadership, right? And I also believe that a great leader knows which leadership hat to wear, when and to whom. You strike me as a very humble, down-to-earth leader, as I've said, but... It takes one to know one, right? I think at times, surely you must be that ruthless, hard-nosed bloke as well, or are you just a one-size-fits-all, this is me. What's your style, leadership style? Um, I, I guess the best answer to that would be from, from, from the people I support daily rather than me. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I can act swiftly. And if I believe it's the right decision to make, I will make the decision, even if it's it might emotionally not sit well with me if it's the right thing to do i will do it but you know i've i've got i've got a i've got a bit of a mantra that i talk i talk to our to our leadership team about and, and it basically says if it feels good to you that's that's not necessarily mm. that, that's that shouldn't be high up in the decision making can you genuinely justify what you're about to do with somebody or a team or a product or a client yeah. if you can justify how it's going to improve their life then it may be the right thing to do. And that with some people, that might be, be terminating and letting them go because we've all done this where we're panicking about letting someone go who's failing and struggling. And they go, oh, thank God for that. I was going to go, you know. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and it's a relief. And sometimes the industry isn't right for people. All there's people, we've got great people who haven't worked well with us, but work well with other businesses and the other way around. Mm. Um, and I, I think, yes, um, I... I do have to wear many hats. You know, if if if, I, if we're talking finances, I have to be analytical. Um, if we're talking if we're talking people, I have to be available. Mm. Um, you know, and and you you I guess you try and be multifaceted. You know, people ask me what I do as a job, like what I actually do daily. I'm like a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm there to kind of make sure that I'm the glue that sticks everything together. And internal communication, which isn't one of our strengths, is at its height and. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I don't, I don't come across that all decisions are made on emotion because far from it. But I think emotion is yeah. always a part of that, and sometimes you have to really check yourself, and that's so important. Yeah, I think you're right. I think when the chips are down, sometimes emotion needs to be out of the way completely. But other times, you do need to take that on board as well. And I think it's, it's been in tune with that, right? I mean, as an example, I've let go, or you could say fire, or whatever the word is, uh, or enabled a mutually agreement whereby my top billers, million pound billers have exited the business because they weren't right culturally. And I think that's a massive thing. We, we, we've done the same. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, that was a big learn. Until 
few years ago, I was scared of that. You know, where are we going to generate this revenue from? What yeah. happens is this overpowering voice of toxicity leaves. And guess what? Four, four, four people find the voice in it. One hundred percent. Yes. Um, and, and for me, we've got a we've got a policy that I, 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 I've nicked from the All Blacks, which is a no dickheads policy, and we're, we're yeah. by far far from the only company to believe in that. But the whole is much more important, um, and um, mm. th- you you'll never be able to to recreate that environment and culture that you want in every location you're in no. unless the people are in harmony. Um, and we've got 200 staff let's be honest not everyone's going to be everybody's best friend because it's impossible to do that but yeah. make it not clicky make it available yeah. I, lo- I love I love seeing like lunchtime and you've got the FD sat next to apprentice sat next to a yes. systems guy we're having lunch together of course. that's amazing I love that you know um, and, it, and that's why again part, you know, sometimes I'll just wander around and, and chat to people because mm. those water cooler moments mm. is where I think you can really check are you actually really okay? You mm. know, because you you you, you it's so much harder to do that on Zoom or by numbers or anything else. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a real. Oh, I, I've worked in organisations where the CEO is almost so untouchable, even the board. So it's almost like you know they're like this different different being. And I think what yes, you need to have some sort of structure and hierarchy, but I think you have to be a human being, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think. Uh, there, there are obviously sort of lines that you have to draw in, in yeah. certain circumstances because it's important from a from a perspective of people believing in you. Um, but I think availability is important. I, I, I think sometimes one of definitely one of my weaknesses I have made myself too available to people, yeah. um, so you then can't get on with pressing matters. Um, and there is a dan- there's a definitely an inherent danger in that as well. And it, it, it like everything we kind of touched on, it, everything's about balance, yeah. and it's trying to it's, it's trying to consistently. You know, manage those different types of workloads that you have, and sure. your your sphere of influence. You know, I was talking to some of our leaders in Philly yesterday. I said, "Look, you know, with all due respect to anybody who works for Oscar, there is a model in any business. There's ten or twenty percent of your performers that would be amazing, irrespective of, of how well you are, you are as a leader. How could you mm. do it? They're, they're the kind of people they make it success anyway." At the other side, there's 10 or 20% of the population that work with you that will, will fail irrespective of how amazing you are. What we can influence is probably that 60 to 80% in the middle, right? So it's concentrating on where you can have that sphere of influence. It doesn't mean you don't try and help the other people. You know, you want to, to make the, the better people better and help the struggling ones. But yeah. it's the people who, they're malleable, they'll listen, they'll, they'll encourage change behavior in themselves. Yeah, They're the ones that you can really kind of grow their lives, you know? As opposed to having two hundred um, Andy Morales running around, like most people think they should have, <laughs> we, we we'd, we'd be so crap if we had five <laughs> Andy Morales. You know, we've, we've again. I was, I, was, I was talking to a lady yesterday in our business here, and I was saying, "You need to do you. You need to be authentic because you're going to be the best you. Like right. I'm the best me, and you're the best Chris." And it doesn't mean that we can't beg, steal, and borrow from people because I learned so much from the guys I mentioned before, Zach and Sam, and other people who I surround myself around, great leaders. Yeah. And, I, and, and I admire lots of people in our industry, and, and I, I do borrow from, from their experiences. Yeah. But you, 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 you compound that into your own melting pot and, and you, you make it a better you rather than try and be somebody else. Definitely. So, the last kind of one or two questions um, three to five tips on scaling. A business or recruiting business. Um, for me, uh, something that's really important is pillars. 
I think if, if, if the further you go up in business, it's important to, 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 to make sure you've got three people underneath you that are great. Mm. Um, because if there's two, one falls poorly or falls out or whatever, it leaves one and then stresses on them. Yeah. Um, never, ever, ever be scared of getting people working with you that are better than you at, at every single task. Um, I think one of the reasons I, I was quite good at management is my, my first ever trainee is managing director of that business now. And he he's a far better salesperson than I am and I ever will be. But like, I remember a manager from the other side of the business going, oh, aren't you scared that, he, that he's going to be better? And I was like, fuck no, because it's what's he going to do with me? You know, it's brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. And, 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 that, and I think if you're going to scale, you have to, you have to put ego aside massively. You've got to trust in people, but you've also got to make sure that that isn't that it's an unwavering trust, but it's not built on sand. Everybody yeah. has to have accountability. Yes. If they haven't got accountability and there isn't a clear vision of what their role is in the business, 100%. what their why is and where they're going, then it, it will yeah. fall apart very quickly. Uh, and I think I think being open-minded on directions the business can go, whether that's looking at different type of recruitment solutions, whether you're going mm-hmm. down the task model or, or, or something else. Or, yeah. or whether it's looking at um, associated industries. Um, if if you're looking, you'll see opportunity, but you don't mm. see opportunity if you're not looking for it. And I think unless you've got, unless you you, you know you've you've got a, an amazing niche that you can scale it, scale and never need to go outside of that. I think it's important yeah. to be open minded. And I think finally for me, as well as you can have the best people in the world, but if you don't have industrial processes that can be replicated, yes, then it yes. will fall apart. And a lot of people think that means that you, you just have to like little siloed, really boring work. But something I, I, I took from, have you ever, have you ever read Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights? I've actually got it on my Audible. It's my next one after my next one. I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. But it's actually better on Audible because it's his voice and he's fabulous. But So he tells a story. I'm going to be really boring, but I love this anecdote. So he tells a story of he wanted to be authentic when he was going for like readings to be an actor when he was, yeah. when he was a lot younger. Yeah. And he said he ne- he'd never practiced it. He'd never learned the lines before he went for auditions. And what happened, because he wanted to be like his genuine self and put the emotion into the character. Mm. And then he turned up for an audition one day and it was three pages of French. And he was like, shit, how am I going to learn this in like five minutes? And what he said that he what he's learned is that if you have true structure, that can actually provide creativity rather than be an inhibitor of it. Yes. Because it, if if you if like if, if you know what you're doing, I just know my shit. It okay. leaves more brain space for creating great solutions for people. Well, you're less worried. Emotion. You're less worried as well because you kind of know how you're you're breaking it down in chunks, so you've got more brain capacity. I think. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that analogy is true in our business as well. If, if you know the processes inherently, your brain's free to provide great solutions for your staff, mm. for your clients, and for your candidates. And that's how you've grown to 200 as well, because it's like, it's not like, it's almost like a McDonald's franchise sometimes. I mean, every, every, every office is different, but as an example, you know, you walk into any McDonald's, you know it's a McDonald's, right? Yeah, the Big Mac should taste the same wherever you are in the world. And, that, and yeah. what I want is every, everybody we touch, whether it's internal staff or clients or candidates that are our three audiences, I want them all to have a great experience with Oscar, albeit it should also take on local nuances. Yes. Our people in Philly are vastly different to our people in Tampa who are different yeah. to the guys in Austin who are different to London. And I think it's important that you give people their own identity and you understand that, you know, our guys do different hours in different places because of traffic, yeah. because of, you know, local circumstances. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, really important as well. Um, but we want them to all have a great experience. But, you know, processes is something we're, we're not amazing at. Some of the processes that we still have in place the ones we introduced 15 years ago just because they work and that's not good enough. So now I've in- recently hired a, a process improvement consultant right. just, to, just to make sure that we are we're not yeah. duplicating yeah. work. We're not 
getting our consultants to do a load of crappy admin that salespeople hate doing, you know? And we, we still have a, a long way to go to make those more lean and automate and things like that as well. So yeah. we are far from perfect. But I, I guess, said before, because our eyes are open and we're looking for the problems, we can then find solutions. Definitely. So as a parting gift, um, what would you like to leave the audience with? And before that question, what do you think the recruitment sector can do more of to make it a better sector? Oh, wow. What can it do more of? I think the recruitment industry, if you could rewind back time and there was no such thing as contingent recruitment and it was all, everything was retained and no one knew another model, I think that would have encouraged best practice and a lot of, sort of sharky stuff would be out the window because you know you're going to be rewarded for the work you did. Yeah. And I think it's very difficult. You can't turn back time and the bums on seats mentality is going to be there. But I think the recruitment industry, if it's going to in- improve its, its image, it has to try and diminish those practices as much as possible. But mm. it, it's got to be commercially viable to do so because otherwise someone's going, to, someone's going to win your business. And I think that's the challenge that we all face. I mean, one of the things that we are, we, are, we are deeply trying to push at the moment is embedding ourselves genuinely in the industries we work with into the candidate and client community. So we're seen as, as not just transactional, you know, mm. signs in our eyes. Sure. I think it's really, really important that we can add value just by being there. You know, we're, we've got a tech meetup called Social Code. There's 2,000 members of it who are signed up. We regularly get about 70, 80 people uh, face-to-face and the same amount online. So we get about 100, 200 people in each event. And it's, it's, it's talks from three tech people uh, hosted by our wonderful guy, Ross, who set it up. And the rule is there is no selling. We have recruiters there just to make sure it works, but you don't sell. If somebody asks you about advice for recruitment, that's fine. Yeah. But this isn't directly to get business. Right. It's, to, it's to create the, and hopefully the correct impression that we're trying to be a bit of a force for good, you know, and we're, we're trying to enable the industry because non, non-altruistically that will work for us in the long term. Mm. It's also the fucking right thing to do. Of course, mate. What an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, we could talk recruitment and all sorts for days, I think. I've been next time you're over in the UK, let's go for a beer or some lunch or some food. I want to meet you face to face. But um, I, th- I thank you for your time. I'm very impressed of all your achievements, and it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. So thanks for coming on. You're very kind. I just I hope I've not bored anybody with my waffle, but I appreciate <laughs> the time and I, I feel privileged to be on, on your show. So thank you, Chris. Nice one, mate. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.